Well, when we're very young, there's something within us, our nature, that wants us to please others. We're born with that. We're born with wanting to please other people. And at first, you know, it's just kind of we just want to please our parents when we're little. I remember, you know, doing pictures for my mom or writing my dad a note or something like that. And I just wanted them to be proud of me. I just wanted them to please me. But as we get older, that circle of who we want to please kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I remember wanting to please my teachers and wanting to please uh, my coaches. And, you know, I just wanted them to be proud of me. I remember one guy in particular, uh, we were playing, it was, a, it was when I was in um, a I think a sophomore or a junior in high school, and we were playing football, and this particular guy was this just this tough linebacker. He's just this monster, just this meaty guy, you know, and he just, he's just the kind of guy that you look at and go, wow, I want to I be as tough as that dude. But for some reason, this guy also wanted to be our kicker. I have no idea why. We had this kicker from Honduras that could kick like an 82-yard field goal. Why this guy thought he could beat him out, I'll never know. But he was, he was a senior, and he would round up these poor freshmen before, uh, before practice, and he would make them go out and hold balls for him and then shag them after he would kick. And he would work on them before and after practice. He would just work and work and work to, to please the coach and, and to get this kicking job. And, and so he wanted to make sure, though, that he got good enough before he actually showed the coach that he can kick. So finally, I mean, we're three quarters of the way through the season, and he thinks he's finally got it down. And he, and he asks our coach, he said, hey, coach, you got to come out. You got to come out and watch this. You got to come out and watch this. You got you to see me kick. Now understand, our coach is a, he's a monster. This guy played college football, and he is just, he's huge. And, you know, he wanted to appease the kids, so he walks out, you know, and he stands out beside, and, he, you know, he does the coach's stance, you know, like that. It's waiting for him, and so 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 uh, this guy, this kid named Darren lines up the kick. He's got his little freshman down there holding, and he kicks that ball as hard as he can right into my coach's manhood. <laughs> Drops him. Now, needless to say, he did not get my coach's approval that day, nor did he get the kicking position. But as we go through life, it seems like we really want to please people. And pleasing people can be good to an extent. But if we're not careful, we can become addicted to approval from others or getting that approval from others. Uh, Joyce Myers wrote an incredible book called Approval Addiction. How we can just have that in our lives in such a way so bad that we want others to, to, uh, to, to like us so much, regardless of where they are, where their state is, that we'll do anything to get that approval. And that can be, that can be scary. We can tend to let others over, uh, run over us, hurt us, use us, manipulate us, and sometimes to the point that our whole life isn't about us and God anymore. It's just about pleasing everybody else. Now, Remember, God didn't want us to go through life alone. And there are going to be people who hurt us. There are going to be people that betray us. But what we ought to be careful of is those people that we allow into the inner circle of our life. At what capacity do we have people in our lives? And at what capacity do we allow them to come into our inner circle? So how do we become... Or how do we keep from being addicted to approval? And how do we set up those proper boundaries? Well, I believe that God gives us a book full of solutions and shows us boundaries that we need to set up 
in our lives to protect us. But first, I think we need to, to identify what makes an unhealthy relationship. Now, you should have received a, a note sheet when you came in today. I hope everybody has one themselves. Uh, there's going to be some personal things on there that you may not necessarily want your spouse to see coming up. So uh, when you do your notes, make sure you kind of hold them to yourself. This is between you and the Lord. But you'll see there uh, some, some ways that we need or some things that we need to think, some things that we need to see before we look into Scripture. And that's just how to identify an healthy relationships in our life. Here's some things that will identify unhealthy relationships. First, you have to ask yourself the question, does the person bring you down? The person that you have in your life, no matter what capacity, when you hang out with them, do they bring you down? Do they bring you down morally with negative activities or negative talk? Do they bring you down emotionally? They make you feel bad about yourself or, or just maybe feel bad, period. That's a good test to see if it's a healthy relationship. Secondly, does the person use you? Do they take advantage of you? Or maybe the person manipulates you. Okay, they, they, spill, they speak guilt as a second language, right? They're just really, really good at it. Or maybe you don't produce good fruits when you're with that person. And what I mean by that is what comes out of your relationship when you're with them? Does, do good fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control? Or do bad fruits, jealousy, rage, anger, um, uh, lust. What, what, what comes out of your relationship? That is, that is something we have to evaluate. The second thing we have to do is establish what is toxic in your current relationships. Now, kind of just do a mental inventory of the people that you have in your life, the relationships you have in your life, whether they're, they're close and intimate or maybe they're just acquaintances. Maybe they're people that you work with. And when you think about those relationships, if you were to look at them and identify them as being unhealthy, like we just gave you some uh, uh, ability to do there, then ask yourself, what is toxic in that particular relationship? Write that down. Take a second to do that. The person puts me down. The person calls me names. When I share my dreams with this person, they, they never believe in me. They abuse me emotionally. Maybe they, they abuse you physically. So we have to establish, establish that toxicity in a relationship. What it is. What we don't like about it. And then the third thing we have to do is set up some boundaries of who we're going to let into our circle of trust. Now, if you remember, uh, a few years ago, there was a movie that came out that, that spent a lot of time in a family situation talking about the circle of trust. Here's some clips from those movies. So this morning, I want to try to establish or illustrate my circle of trust by this boundary or this fence. Now, everybody in my life that is on the inside of this circle invests in me. I invest in them. It's an intimate relationship. It's a relationship of trust. Within this circle, of course, God has got to be there first, right? Our relationship with God is, is first. Now, you might think, well, okay, yeah, that's kind of a no-duh. But here's the, tr here's the truth. Uh, there's some people out there that don't trust God. You may have been introduced to him as your personal savior, but you have never really trusted him. You don't necessarily trust him with the decision-making in your life. You don't trust him with your finances, so you, so you don't tithe, you don't give. You may not trust him with your time, so you don't, you don't serve. And so you can have God in your life from an introductory standpoint, but, but you may not trust him. He may not really be on the inner circle of your life. Now, hopefully, your spouse is on the inner circle of your life. They should be in the circle of trust. Uh, hopefully, your kids, uh, maybe some family members, 
and maybe some friends. But these are the people that you have in your life that you, that you love for, you care for, you invest in them, they invest in you. Uh, now, this doesn't mean they're perfect, okay? None of, us, none of us are perfect. They are a work in progress, those people in the inner circle of your life. And uh, besides God, there are people in this circle that have the potential to hurt you and disappoint you. When Jesus had the disciples, he had a, a great group of guys, but there were some people on the inside of his inner circle that could, could definitely hurt him, that could definitely have the potential of betraying him, and that ultimately happened with Judas. Now, this doesn't mean that they're not in the circle, though, because we all have the ability to hurt each other in some way. But here's some ground rules when it comes to the circle, because there's some definite mis misconceptions on who should automatically be in this circle. Number one, just because they are related to you does not mean they have to be in your circle. Oh, that's a big misconception. Well, wait a second, but, but, but they're, I, they're my cousin, man. And they're, uh, we, we grew up together, and we're close. Doesn't mean they need to be in your circle. But, but they're, they're my parents, you're telling me my parents shouldn't be on the inner circle of my life? I don't know. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they shouldn't. So that's that first myth we have, to, we have to be able to expose. Secondly, just because you have known someone for a long time doesn't mean they need to be in this circle. I've known them since grade school. I, I mean, I, we grew up together. We've done everything together. We were th thick and thieves. We were like peas and carrots together, right? That, 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 was, that was our life. We, we were together forever. They're, they have to be in our circle. Not necessarily. Thirdly, just because a person may be close to someone in your circle doesn't mean that they need to be close to you. Now, isn't, that, isn't that frustrating when you have somebody that, that's really, really close to you, but they have this friend that they're really, really close to, but that friend betrayed you and hurts you, but the friend that's on your inner circle always wants to bring them around? That's frustrating, isn't it? That's kind of hurtful sometimes because that person that betrayed you, you would think that your best friend would go, oh, I have a problem with them because they hurt me. They hurt you. They betrayed you. But sometimes they don't. But just because they're connected doesn't need to be, mean, mean necessarily that they need to be on your circle. Now, on your paper there, on the back of it, you'll notice there's a big circle there. And what I want you to do within this circle is I want you to write down who is in your inner circle right now. Right, whether you think that's a positive thing or a negative thing, but who would you say is on the inner circle of your life? Write their names right now. This is why you may not want to show it to your spouse. Because maybe they're not in your inner circle. <laughs> Write that down. Could be relatives, friends, colleagues. Most likely within your inner circle, you're not going to find more than maybe five, six, seven people. Some cases, it's one or two. Remember, Jesus had the disciples, but he said those that were on his innermost intimate circle were, were just two. Okay, you got that? Now, how do we make this work where it's healthy for us? Now, we need to understand that if we're responsible for who we let in our circle, then we are also responsible for taking people out of our circle. And it is, this isn't easy it's awkward at times and can cause some conflict, but in the long run, it will make your life so much easier and healthier. 
Now, I'm going to uh, try to illustrate some, some things uh, with the circle and how to put people in your circle, how to allow them back in or take them out. And, and I'm going to do that using Rebecca's family because they live 1,500 miles away. I would use my family, but they all go to church here. So, now, for instance, my wife, uh, uh, her mom, uh, when, we, when we first married, we dated for, I think, three or four years before we actually uh, got married. And uh, then we stayed in Louisiana for a full year after we were married. So I got to see about four years of interaction with Rebecca and her, her parents and her family. And one of the things that I noticed about her relationship with her mom is that her mom is this wonderful lady. But there's, there were times that her mom would really, really tear Rebecca down. Uh, she really had high expectations of Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca usually couldn't ever do enough uh, in her mind, in, in her in her uh, in her mind, and and so she was kind of always just raising the bar in Rebecca's life. Uh, she also uh, very much was judgmental about uh, Rebecca's weight and how Rebecca looked and what how Rebecca dressed, and she would make statements to her like, you know, should you really be eating that, or how many calories are in that that dessert that you're eating right there. Or, you know, have you, when was the last time you worked out? Or, uh, man, those, those jeans are fitting kind of tight there. You, you put on a little weight. Those were the kind of things that, that my, my, my mother-in-law would say to Rebecca. And, and things that, that she would say all through her life to the point where Rebecca struggled with her weight. She struggled with her self-image. She str- struggled with her self-esteem. And it seemed like she would work really, really hard at building herself up and, and getting her self-esteem back on track and really, really trying to see herself in God's image. And then we would, we would go spend time with her family and then she would come back completely tore down again. You have people like that in your life? Now, there's the words that can tear a person down, but then there's also the looks that can tear a person down. My mother-in-law could give my, my wife a look, and in just that very instant make her feel horrible. Now, you daughters, you may know what that look is like from your mom. You, can, you know it. You, it. You've established what that look looks like. And when they do it, it hurts you. Now, when we moved, we moved 1,500 miles away. One of the things that was about that was very healthy is that they did need some distance in their relationship. But when we got back together for vacations, she would still do it. She couldn't do it so much over the phone anymore, but she could do it when we got back together. So Rebecca had to decide. She went through some counseling. She got some help. And, and, and what she was advised to do was to have a conversation with her mom where she set up some boundaries. Now, understand that when she did this, she did it in truth and in love, just like Ephesians chapter 5 says. She did it with the attitude of, I, I really want to uh, do this without fighting or arguing. I don't want to hurt my mom. But she needs to know that she's doing this to me because she may not even understand uh, how it's affecting me. So she sat down with her and she said, Mom, I got to talk to you. I got to let you know how I feel. Now, here's the thing. When we, here's a great way to have a non-confrontational confrontation with somebody is when you sit down with them, tell them how what they're doing makes you feel. Don't go into it going, you always do this and you do this and you say this and you look at me this way. No, go into it going, hey, I, I, I need to have a conversation with you. And I need, to, I need you to, to understand that when you say these things and give them concrete examples, when you say these things, it makes me feel this way. And so she did that. 
Now, before she did it too, and I always, and this is a, another teaching I'll be doing coming up called Crucial Conversations. But make sure before you go into those conversations, you pray up first. You ask for, for discernment. You ask that God would soften, the Holy Spirit would soften their heart. She did all those things. She sat down with her mom. She said, Mom, when you say these things, it makes me feel this way. When you look at me this way, and she gave her the example of how she looked at her. When you look at me this way, it makes me feel this way. And her mom broke down. Her mom started crying and said, I am so sorry, Rebecca. I didn't even know that I was doing this to you. I didn't even realize that, that I was doing this to you. And she recognized that the reason that she was doing those things to Rebecca was because of her own hurts in her own life, her own, her own insecurities, her own self-esteem issues. And so she had passed that stuff down into her. And so she had done it for so long, she didn't even realize it. But at that point, Rose said, I am so sorry. I will so work on this. I, I, I please, if I do it again, let me know. And since then, it has been so much better. So much better. Now, is she perfect with it? No, but that's okay. None of us are. But she's trying. Now, for her, for Rose, she, there was a point there where we could go, okay, you're on the inside of our circle, but if this, this destructive behavior doesn't stop, we're going to have to redefine what our relationship looks like. Okay, so that was the situation with Rebecca and her mom. Now, there was a situation with her dad that didn't go so well. Through the years, uh, uh, her dad has been pretty abusive uh, to Rebecca growing up. She was, he was very emotionally abusive to her, uh, physically abusive a few times. And uh, I saw also in evaluating over those four years of us all being around each other that her relationship with her dad was not good either. Now, her dad struggles with alcoholism. Uh, her dad uh, struggles with anger, and, and he's also the type of guy that just raises the bar on you all the time. You never can feel like you can please him enough. And, 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 and once again, it's because of his own issues. Well, in 2009, they came for Christmas. Uh, they uh, always, you know, it seemed like they were taking their vacations in Colorado, or we were having to take our vacations in Louisiana, which is a stress. And I know you young marrieds right now that are trying to balance your time off between families, uh, that, that'll all stop, just so you know, because you'll get tired of it. Um, and, but but it, early on, that's what we did. If we, had, if we got a week off, we were there, or they were with us. And so uh, within those weeks, though, some very, very destructive patterns started to, to kind of emerge. And in 2009, it was Christmas. I remember I, I actually spoke on a Wednesday night here. Uh, they had stayed home because my wife had just had endometriosis surgery, and they were supposed to be coming in to help her or help the family as we went through this. And so uh, he was there. Uh, he had too much to drink. Uh, I wasn't in the house, and he ended up getting into an argument with my wife about some, some way we were raising our kids, which parents— that's not a good thing to have an argument with your kids about uh, as far as how to raise their kids. But, but that was something that he felt like he needed to do. And it wasn't just a friendly conversation. It wasn't just a, you know, a verbal correction. It got ugly, and it got ugly fast. And when I came home from church that night, I walked into my living room, and just all chaos had, 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 had broken loose. I saw my wife crying. She had, just, she had just had surgery, so she was doubled over in pain crying. My mother-in-law was on the floor begging him to stop yelling at her, and my kids were bawling their eyes out, not just not, because they're not used to that. They had no idea what was going on. They didn't understand it at all. And so I realized very, very quickly that I 
needed to do something in that situation to make things better. So the first thing I did was, you know, I told him to calm down. I got the kids out of the room, got them in our bedroom, watching TV, watching a movie. Uh, I told him, I was like, hey, your grandpa just had too much to drink. I'm going to deal with it. You're safe. You're okay. Dad's home. I gotcha. And then I went back in. I made sure I, I consoled my wife, got her settled down, uh, tried to console my mother-in-law as best I could. And then I grabbed him and I said, come on, we need to talk. So we went into our bathroom, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Why, why, are, you, why are you doing this? Oh, well, you, I'm not being respected, and your daughter said this, and, and, and it made me feel this way. And she, she, uh, you're, you, Rebecca doesn't understand, and she, you guys are not raising them right, and they, they shouldn't be able to do this, and da-da-da-da. And, and, and I, just, I was like, I just stopped him. I'm like, why, why do you have to be right? What in this situation makes you think that you have the authority, the ability to, to, to speak those things into your daughter? You don't have the influence with her right now to be able to talk to her about those things anyway. But especially in the state that you're in right now. What do you mean by that? Mike, how much have you had to drink tonight? You're not going to judge me. I'm 56 years old, and I can do what I want, and da 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 And just went off on me again. So I, I stopped him, and I said, okay, here... here. Take aside everything that happened tonight, because tomorrow it'll probably look differently. I said, you've got a choice right now. You can either go make this right, or you can leave. And this is how you're going to make it right. You need to go in. You need to apologize to your granddaughters. You need to make them feel safe around you. You need to go to your daughter. You need to apologize to her and take back the things that you said, and then we can go from there. I'm not going to do that. I didn't do anything wrong. You guys are the ones that are doing stuff wrong. How dare you talk to me like this? You, what, I, I'm 56, you should respect me. And I'm like, you've given me no reason to respect you. So that's your choice. I, you're not going to keep me away from my granddaughters and my, my daughter. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to push you towards them. I'm trying to heal your relationship with them. I'm not trying to keep you from them. But understand this, if you don't make it right tonight... I will keep you from them. It didn't go well. He didn't go say he's sorry. He didn't go uh, uh, deal with it in the way that I wanted him to deal with. Instead, he loaded up his stuff, and he went, and he stayed in a hotel. And I told him that night, I'm like, if you don't make it right, you're not welcome in my house. You need to leave. So he did, and we had, this was early on in the week around Christmas. We, were gonna, we, we had rented a condo at Powderhorn where all of our family was going to come in. We were going to go skiing. And we, we'd made all these plans to do all this kind of stuff. And I kind of thought that when he slept it off at the hotel, he would come back and uh, he would make it right. But no, he called the next morning, told his wife, I'm coming by. You can come home with me or, or, or you can get an airplane ticket. Uh, but I'll be by there in about uh, 30 minutes to pick up the rest of my stuff. And she looked at us and she says, I need to go with my husband. I don't agree with what he's doing, but I need to go home. So he left. Now at that point, we redefined the relationship we had with our father-in-law. I sat down with Rebecca and I go, he can't do this to us anymore. He can't do this to our kids. He can't do this to you. I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to allow it. So here's the rules. If they come up here anymore, they can see the girls as long as we're with them. They cannot stay in our house. They have to stay in a hotel. They have to stay off property. And when we go to Louisiana, we will not stay in their home. We will stay off-site somewhere. But when he is around you, and my, talking about Rebecca, and when he's around my girls, he will not be around them unless I'm there. That's the new, that's the new ground rules. So at that point, we had him inside our inner circle. But then we took him out of that inner circle 
and we set a boundary. Now, just for visual, I made the guy on my outside of my circle a Raider fan. Yeah. And you'll notice I'm so cheap that I wouldn't go actually buy Raiders stuff. I printed this off the computer and taped it on a hat. <laughs> Cannot support the black and silver in any way. So at that moment, we took my father-in-law and we set him outside of a boundary that we set up. Now you might go, oh, wait a second, I, you know, I, don't know, I don't know if that's right, I don't know if that's fair, I don't know if you should do that. He's family, he's her father. That does not mean that I don't still love him, and that does not mean that I did not forgive him, okay? And that's where we get kind of mixed up. We read scripture, and it's like, oh, we're supposed to love everybody, and we're supposed to turn the other cheek, and we're supposed to, we're supposed to forgive. Yes, you're supposed to do all those things, but you can do those things and have the person on the outside of your circle. Because this circle has everything to do with trust. It doesn't mean I don't love him. It doesn't mean I haven't forgiven him. It does mean I don't trust him. I don't trust him around me. I don't trust him around my kids, and I don't trust him around my wife. And that is a proper circle. That is, that, is a, that is a healthy boundary. We are not supposed to just go through life allowing people to run over us and treat us like a doormat. We're not supposed to do that. We can love them and we can forgive them, but we do not have to trust them. Now understand, when you take somebody that has been on the inside of your circle, and you place them on the outside of your circle, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to pitch a fit. Okay? They're going to pitch a fit. You ever been in Walmart before in the toy section, and you saw a little spoiled brat wanting a toy, and their parent wouldn't give it to them, and they just fell on the ground kicking and screaming and so mad because they didn't get that toy? Well, the parent in that situation didn't buy them a toy because they kicked and screamed. Hopefully they didn't. Right? They're like, no, you're going to act like that. You don't get it. In this situation, he, he was mad. He was upset. He kicked and he screamed. But you know what? That's okay. Because he's on the outside of the circle. He's not, he is not creating a tornado in my inner world. He's creating a tornado on the outside of this boundary. He can do that all he wants. Kick, scream, fight, whatever. Not going to do that in here. Because in here is a place of trust. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of peace. You know, look at your relationships. Are they peaceful or is there a bunch of turmoil in them? Now, just because you put them on the outside of the fence doesn't mean at some point that they're not going to try to jump the fence and come back in on their own. And some of the ways that they'll do this, and this is on your note here, notes here, one of the ways that they'll do this is through guilt, right? They're going to try to guilt you in to letting them back into your life. They'll say things like, I really wish you are coming home. Your father was so looking forward to seeing you. He'll be so disappointed. This could be the last time you ever see him. You ever heard anything like that? Guilt. They're trying to use guilt to hop. They don't want to take responsibility. They just want to manipulate you, which is the second thing they'll do. If you do this for me, I'll be willing to do this for you. You know, if you will just come home this Christmas, I know, I know you're struggling a little bit financially. We'll pay, uh, we'll give you some money, but you've got to come home for Christmas if we give you some money, right? Or, or a mother that buys a dress for her daughter that's two sizes too small to get her motivated to lose weight. 
<laughs> that's, that's manipulation. Those are manipulative things. Or thirdly, they'll just try to control you. They'll try to control the situation. Me and your father want to bless you with this money, but, uh, but, but if we do, we, we want you to spend it on this computer for little Johnny. We want to be able to control it. We'll help you out, but if, if, if we do, you're gonna, we're going to expect this in return. So manipulation and control, all that stuff kind of work together, and they'll do that to try to get you to feel bad enough where you go, okay, come on back in, okay? Now they're on the inner circle, and they're there until they mess up the next time, right? Because nothing has happened to change the behavior of this little raider. He's never done anything to change the way he acts. So how does a person get from outside the circle to inside the circle in your life? And here's the thing. Maybe you are the person that has that person. Maybe you're the person in your family's life that's been put on the outside of the circle. And you don't understand and you're upset and you're mad. You're so angry with the person. But the truth is inside you you want to be back in their lives so bad. Well, what do you do? Well, in Scripture, it's interesting because throughout Scripture, it's filled with boundaries. The Bible talks about the first thing that, that God set up with Adam and Eve is don't mess with the serpent and stay away from the tree, right? It was a boundary. Throughout Exodus, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, God tells his people over and over again, do not mix with these people. They are evil to the, to, to the core. And if you do, you will end up betraying me by worshiping other gods. The book of Proverbs over and over again is just all about healthy Proverbs and I, or boundaries. I was going to actually write down some really good boundaries uh, from Proverbs, but the truth is the whole book is boundaries. If sinners entice you, turn back on them. Stay away from adulterous women. Stay away from immoral people. Do not associate with liars. Stay on the paths of righteousness. Stay away from the wicked. Be uh, Beware of those that are prideful. Be careful of those that are angry. The Lord detests those who have crooked hearts. A fool is quick-tempered. Over and over again in the Bible, God is saying, hey, look, yes, love everybody. But you know what? You've got to protect yourself at the same time. To love someone and to forgive them does not mean that you let them into the inner circle of your life. Now, if you are this guy, and sometimes you may be this guy, and you're so unself-aware that you don't even know you're this guy. You could be this guy, and if you don't know, you need to look around and go, how many friends do you have? How close are you to your family? Do people avoid you when you come up to try to talk to them? You need to ask yourself those questions. If you don't know, ask somebody that loves you enough to tell you the truth. Go to them and say, hey, have I done that to some people? Am I on the outside of people's lives and those people I need to be on the inside of their life? Has that happened? Just ask them and say, I can handle it. Tell me the truth. Because if you are, these are the things that you need to do to get back into that inner circle. Now, these are not on your notes, but you need to write them down because this is huge, okay? The first thing that my father-in-law would have to do to get back into the inner circle of our life is he has to say he's sorry. He has to apologize. I'm sorry. But you know what? If you've been hurt or betrayed by the same person over and over again, you've probably heard sorry till you're sick of it. Right? 
You like stuff your sorry. I don't even believe you anymore. So sorry doesn't work unless you do the second thing. And that's where you have to say that you were wrong and you accept responsibility for what you did. That is huge. Now he said he was sorry, kind of halfway, did it in a letter, never did it face to face. But he never accepted responsibility for what he did. He never said he was wrong. Man, do you know how far you can go in life if you would just be really, really quick to say, I'm so sorry I blew it. I take responsibility. I was so wrong with what I said. Try that with your spouse sometimes. She'll probably fall over, but just try it and see what happens. So say you're sorry. Accept responsibility. Say you were wrong. Third, though, because those two things aren't any good without the third thing either. They must give a plan on how they will be, get, be, get better. Because if you say you're sorry and you're wrong, that's, that's great. But if you don't have a plan on how you're going to change, you're just going to end up coming back inside the boundary and hurting that person again. What's your plan? Man, if he would have just said, guys, look, I know I have an anger issue. I'm going I'm to go to counseling for it. I'm going to get back into church. I know I have an alcohol issue. I'm going to start going to AA. If he would have done those things, we would have been like, oh, that's awesome. But then again, it's not enough just to say you're going to get help. That's why number four you have to work that plan. They have to work the plan. Because you, you probably heard all the promises. I'll get better. I'll never do it again. I'll start going to counseling. They never do it. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start serving God. I'm going to change the way I do my finances. But they never do it. Working the plan is what reestablishes the trust. Setting it up is not enough. So if, if he would have done those things, I'm so sorry, I was so wrong, I take responsibility, I want to be back in your life so much. I, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop drinking, I'm going to go to AA, I'm going to get some counseling, I'm going to get back in church. And, they, and he does that for about six months, guess what? Open arms, come back in our inner circle, we love you, we want you on the inner, inner part of our life. Right? So we, that's what we really, really want. Typical Raiders fan had been out all night drinking. Poor little guy. <laughs> I never could make that happen again in a million years. That was awesome. <clears throat> now, here's, here's the thing we have to establish. We have to understand. This is what I'm going to close with this morning. There's a difference between boundaries and walls. We build boundaries to protect ourselves from those that have hurt us. But walls are built in our life from unresolved hurt that we've never dealt with. Unforgiveness and bitterness in our life that we've never fixed. And so we get hurt and we go, I'll never get hurt again. I'll never let anybody close to me again. That hurt so bad when I got cheated on. That hurt so bad when I went through that divorce. That hurt so bad when my friend betrayed me and he, and he talked behind my back. And you know what? So I, that will never happen again because I'll never allow it to. And we build these walls in our life. Maybe you poured into somebody and, and, and you trained them in your business. And man, they, 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 they learned from you and they were this stellar employee. And one day they come to you and say, oh, you know what? I'm quitting 
I'm going to go stoke my own business right across town. And they use everything that you gave them against you. Those are the kind of things that will cause you to put these walls in your life. And you know they're walls when, it's, when you basically will stiff arm everybody in your life. Nobody's going to get close to me. You know they're walls when you don't allow anybody into your life to the point where you can really love them or you can really trust them. And the devil counterfeits a, a proper boundary with a wall because he wants to isolate you. He wants you not to feel. He wants you to never be able to trust. He wants you to never be able to feel the love of God because you have all of this unresolved hurt in your life. Now, how do you get rid of this boundary, these boundaries or these walls in your life? You forgive. I choose to forgive my father for beating me. I choose to, to forgive him for, for abusing me all those years. I choose to forgive my spouse who cheated on me. I choose to forgive that friend that took what I gave him and used it against me. The only way you knock these down is by forgiving and releasing that resentment. And then you build proper boundaries. It doesn't mean that you let those people that hurt you back into your inner circle. It just means you forgive them and you love them. Maybe they'll be there again someday, but maybe they won't. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head this morning, and, and I just want to pray over you for a second. For some of you, you have been hurt really bad. The things that you've gone through, I can't even imagine. And when you hear a message like this, in your mind, I know you're thinking, oh, that's easy for you to say. You don't know what I've been through. And that person that hurt you is still controlling you because you've never been able to let it go. Now, you may not be able to just forgive them totally this morning. But at some point, you've got to sit down and you've got to make a list of every way that person has wronged you and hurt you. And you just like a line item got to go through it and forgive them for over one of those things. For you. Not for them. For you. So you can be whole. So you can love. So you can trust. So you can have an abundant life. And you deserve that. So right now, I just want you to identify in your mind who it is you need to forgive. And then just tell the Lord, I choose to forgive him. And if you need help with that, talk to somebody. We have great transformation counselors here at the church that will walk you through being able to do that. Because for some, it's so deep, it's going to take a little bit. But now I want you to picture somebody on the inner circle of your life that you need to set up some boundaries with. They're there, but they're abusing you there. You are not who you need to be when you're with that person. 
And Lord, I pray for every one of us right now that has that individual that has snuck into our inner circle of our life and shouldn't be there. And I pray right now that you give us the boldness to be able to remove them, give us the strength to be able to have the conversation with them, give us the words that we need to have to be able to confront them, help us to do it in truth and in love. Please, God. And I pray that, Lord, that we and that decision might be the catalyst to bringing about change in their life. That we would stop enabling them. That we would show them we love them, but we're not going to allow them to hurt us anymore. Give us wisdom of who we should have as our friends. Give us wisdom because some of us, Lord, we need to have these kind of conversations with our spouse. It doesn't mean we divorce them. But Lord, there's some, some things that need to happen in our relationship that need to change or our, or our relationship's not going to make it. So give us the strength we need. Give us the wisdom we need. Give us the, oh, give us the hope that we need that it, it's going to get better. And we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory for it. We love you and we thank you for this time we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's give the Lord a praise offering, right? <laughs>